Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode three of Exceeding Expectations. I'm your host, Michael Gowan, and today I interview Dr. Josh Funk. He is a physical therapist, a business owner. He is the CEO of Rehab to Perform up in Maryland. It has multiple locations. It's continuing to grow. Today, I talked to him a little bit about what it takes to own and be successful in business, especially in the healthcare field. We dive into some of the intricacies of the physical therapy profession itself, and we discuss techniques, skills, and strategies that are invaluable when trying to achieve success in your personal life, in fitness, or even in leadership roles. So without any further delay, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I mean, you're, you're Dr. Josh Funk for the listeners who don't know, and you're a business owner, small business owner in the Maryland area. I mean, you own, is it now five clinics? We're opening up number five, hopefully yep. no later than April. Yep. And then so, yeah, yeah. We'll, we will have more, we'll have more going on in 2021. Okay. Yeah. So I've been following you for about three years um, and I've just continuously been impressed with you. I follow you um, on one of your Facebook groups. You're always providing value to everyone around you. Um, you get your, your businesses and your employees involved in the community, which is huge, especially for physical therapy. That's very important. Teaching your, your patients and potential consumers in the community about health. You always focus on what can be done and people were real down and depressed about COVID, but I always saw you putting out, okay, well, what can we do? We're going to focus on what we can work through during COVID, whether you're having restrictions from government mandates or not. And so that's always impressed me about you. I just want you to kind of start off just telling the listeners a little bit about your story, about you. I know you were a lacrosse player in college, so maybe just touch on your story as an athlete, a physical therapist, a small business owner, and however you want to go about breaking down your story for me. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, especially is timely, just given it's the holidays, um, will will be attributed to family and I know a lot of people are always very, very appreciative of their parents, and I definitely am appreciative of my parents, but I think largely a lot of what I can attribute some of the mental side of either who I am or my siblings, or I'd say just things that we do in terms of what I would say almost is like family culture can be attributed to my grandparents. Um, okay. You know, Grandparents, I think at the end of the day, are creating an environment where they then have offspring that then are able to pass that messaging on. So my parents being a byproduct of the, the environment that their parents set forth and me being very fortunate to have that. Um, my mom's side, uh, to be honest, and my, my, my dad's side, really, really no different. Not a very high, not like super um, educated home life in terms of where they were growing up. I mean, my, my grandfather grew up in a farmhouse. They, his parents never went to high school and he really, you know, between sports, between working on the farm and eventually going to college to being, you know, first person, his family to go to college. And then he made a career in the military. He eventually made it to the rank of Colonel, but, I think you have that side of the house. My mom being a military brat, obviously growing up with certain ways in which she was raised. And then my dad, same thing. I mean, it, you know, both his parents were educators. They grew up um, in more humble households as well. My grandfather 
and my grandmother on that side, both being able to go to college, being college athletes themselves. My, my grandmother on that side was one of the first ever female student athletes uh, and the first ever one on the uh, men's rifle team. So she was like an old school, like Annie Oakley, man, you know? So yeah. back in the day, I mean, she's, she's somebody that's busting barriers up herself. And my, my grandfather actually spent a little time away from college in uh, merchant, merchant Marines um, during one of the wars that were going, was going on before coming back. And you got that same sports piece, came back, played basketball at Penn State himself, actually went to play in the ABA uh, back in the day. So, yeah. you know, being able to play some pro ball. But I'd, I'd say largely just being a byproduct of people that have a certain mental fortitude, um, obviously – there's a certain value of physical activity in the household. And I think largely putting myself and, and, and my siblings, and even when I look at like my cousins and other people in my family, people that generally have a certain sense of optimism and a certain sense of empowerment with regards to what they can do for their own lives. So if I look at a year like this year uh, and everything that it was, I think you know, not to overgeneralize, but you'll have some, some buckets of people where you have some that are in a position where they've kind of pressed pause, so to speak. It's kind of this waiting out, this enduring. And then the bucket that I'd like to say that I'm in where, okay, this is what's going on and life shouldn't stop. My dreams, my goals, ambitions that I have always set for myself are things that are, still matter to me. They still have value. There's still things that I'd like to be able to say that eventually I can accomplish them. They just might have to have different processes. So being very, very quick to uh, adapt, figure out what's, what's doable, what's not doable. What rules do we have to follow? What am I comfortable with? What are the people around me comfortable with? What do I have to do to protect them? I mean, I think, you know, looking at the year two, going to the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs concept and you're you know, you're knocking it down a couple rungs in the beginning, just trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And then you are, you're trying to get back into self-fulfillment and all the things that go along with self-fulfillment, which I think largely is, it, it can be attributed to, to self-improvement and ownership over one's life. So um, I know I kind of started more in like a, a family talk there, but you know, if, you know, if I look at Things that, that I've also been able to do. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like the college athlete piece. I think that's just kind of a, um, a, a part of our family culture. We were big on different, different season, different sport growing up. You know, you, you had to play something. I remember being asked, hey, what do you want to do? It's fall. Okay, just a reminder, if you don't like this, you have to stick it out the whole season. Then you can decide whether or not you want to do it at the end of the season. We just ne we never brought it up ever again. It was never... No, it was never a, a conversation beyond that. Oh, well, you, you signed up for it. We're committed to it. We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to keep playing this. Okay. You're, you're, you're part of a team and your teammates need you to be at practice. And, and you just have these small things that I think incrementally build um, throughout the course of your life. But I, I, I will, I, I'll keep coming back to the fact that I do think largely those messages and the things that were kind of ingrained in me at a young age were a result of what my grandparents did with my parents. Yeah. Good family culture that they established on both sides. It sounds like so recurring theme I'm seeing with a lot of the folks I'm talking to and just people who, who, who are just as successful in general is 
the locus of control and the self-efficacy is always in their court. This theme of, you know, remaining positive or optimistic about your circumstances and seeing opportunity in, you know, the darkness, if, you know, for lack of a better term, which, you know, COVID could certainly be seen as a really big darkness on our whole country. But the people I'm finding who are being successful this year, no matter who they are, they all are seeing opportunity where there may not be opportunity. They're finding opportunity. They're controlling the controllable. And that's another theme I'm always seeing is control the controllable. Okay. You know, you're not able to always control everything, but if you focus on what can I control, what can I you know, influence right now? And you uh, focus on that. Oh, yep. Core value at rehab to perform. There we go. Client first, education, empowerment, control the control. Attitude, effort, enthusiasm. I like it. And then respect all across the board. That's at every single office. So I mean, that's, um, it's transparent. It's seen every day. And yeah, you could say yeah. it's just, it's the, it's the way we want to keep doing things. Control the control. It's come up with every single interview I've had with um, people on this podcast so far. And I think it's just because it's such a, a crucial element in, you know, finding success and growth and learning. So the name of the podcast is exceeding expectations and there's no way you can even meet expectations if you aren't trying to control what you can control in your life. So, you know, I'm glad that came up, you know, I was going to bring that up a little later, but a lot of times when I'm having these conversations, things just organically come up and I want to touch on them while it's relevant. So, okay. So you played lacrosse in college. What made you lean towards becoming a physical therapist and a small business owner after that. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the, the big thing that once again, I mean, just growing up, you realize what are you good at? What do you like? What interests you? You know, I was always good at science or at least I was drawn to it. I enjoyed talking. I was always a talker. You know, I enjoyed just interacting with people. I was generally curious about others. I was generally curious about how the body worked. I was always physically active. So it was kind of hard for me to be somebody that was maybe a little bit more sedentary um, or, or, you know, sitting all the time for work. And then I think when you, you know, think about where I was in the beginning of college, it was like, all right, do I want to be an ortho? Do I want to be a PA? Do I want to be a PT? What do I want to do? Sophomore year, I hurt my shoulder um, so much that I couldn't raise it above about shoulder height. I found out I tore my rotator cuff and I had torn my labrum. Knowing some of what I know now, I wonder how much of that might've been attributed just to baseball playing up and lacrosse and then the years and years of competitive swimming. But nonetheless, um, that year I'd been recommended to potentially have surgery at the end of the year. And I went through the rehab process throughout the season. I was fortunate to be able to continue to play Obviously, with certain modifications in the weight room, certain things I really had to be mindful of at practice. But seeing the continuum of almost like considerations through trying to manage my ability to play was the ATC, our head PT, our strength coach, and the lacrosse coach, in addition to my my physician. So just appreciating all the different uh, recommendations things that people were doing with me in order to prepare me to play. And honestly found a way to get my shoulder to a really good spot throughout the season. So by the end of the season, the only things that really bothered me were me shooting as hard as possible, 
and then me either delivering a blow to somebody or receiving a blow, which are very high level activities. But from a day-to-day standpoint, and if I was just passing and moving around at practice, I was fine. So started to kind of go, oh man, like, do I really want to get surgery? You know, I had a teammate that got a labrum surgery and it didn't really go great. He wasn't really crazy about it. So I was, I was very apprehensive and came home. I got a second opinion. Unfortunately, that physician said, you know what, maybe just take it easy from lacrosse for the summer and just rehab for three months. So I rehabbed, it worked out. And fortunately, I've never had to get surgery ever again. So I think after that, I just fell in love. I love the connectivity of the profession. I love the relationships that it looked like people got to develop while um, what were doing their, their day-to-day. And then I think what I, what I started to see was something that, you know, I would say just I, was, a, was a spoil of being at Ohio State, um, the environment, the people that we had. And that continuum that I'm referring to, I just didn't really see it in a commercial model. At that point in time, athletes' performance was something that is pre-Exos, for those people that are familiar with Exos, that I'd always kind of been interested in. You know, they were doing a lot of the NFL combine. They were training high-level athletes. They had PT. Their facility was awesome. Even the PT area didn't look like a traditional sterile medical space. So I was like, yeah, well athletes performance it's huge it's a lot of money it's only for the elite of the elite like is there any way that I could potentially do something like this for the everyday athlete okay yeah we're going to see competitive athletes as well but there's a lot of people that would benefit from a service and a model being delivered um, to them in a manner in which I was familiar with at Ohio State so that idea probably came more like junior senior year of college and then going through PT school, having other touch points where it's just kind of reinforced where I just think if I look at PT kind of has its roots in, um, in the physician world. And it looked too much like a physician's office it just wasn't for me. It just was very sterile. It was kind of boring. People didn't really enjoy it. Um, wasn't really, I, I, I think the environment as a whole didn't, didn't even allow the expertise of the people working in the environment to fully maximize what they had going on in their brain. And then ideally deliver a service in which prepares people for uh, the world outside of the four walls of that business. So it, um, it just kind of put me in a situation where I, I started to think that I could do that myself. And it was not until three years after I was done with physical therapy school, uh, school that I felt like I was finally ready Um, I'm a big believer in having some level of preparation. I know some people might think they're a little bit more ready, but I needed to work on that intellectual piece and the ability to be a good PT, uh, as well as develop just the social connectivity. uh, And as many people um, have to in their mid-20s, just be mindful of what my financial standing was. So, um, But I got to a point where three years out, rehab to performance started, and we're fortunate to have just had our six-year anniversary on December 1st. Congratulations on that. So what did you do in those other three years? I worked for private practice owners. They were the places that I felt like had the best reputation from a private practice standpoint in the area that were not tied to either like a franchise or a pops or big medical group. You know, they were your independent private practice owners um, people that I think I naturally gravitated to just because 
you know, they went out on their own, they bet on themselves, yeah. no attachment to anything else, and they found a way to make it work. And I think those two situations I'm incredibly grateful for. I learned a lot about what I liked. I learned a lot about things that didn't gravitate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I would not have been able to have some level of success in those early years without those experiences. Yeah, I was going to say that those are the perfect settings for you to have learned for doing what you have now done. For sure. Standard physical therapy office doesn't do a good job kind of catering towards the athletic population. You know, you go to a lot of PT offices and you'll be lucky to find a barbell anywhere. Uh, And so that has something that has kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And another reason that I, I greatly admire what you have built in the Maryland area. And I'm hoping to see more practices pop up like rehab to perform. Your, your model is definitely one that I would strive to emanate. Love what you've done. And I think any business owner or PT business owner, uh, whether they have a business right now or they're aspiring to have one, should certainly have a conversation with you, take a tour of your facility, see what you guys do over there because it's awesome. It's awesome. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Absolutely. So, I mean, what would you say your um, biggest obstacles have been, you know, to overcome not just this year in 2020, but just in general as a a business owner, if you could kind of elaborate on that since square one. I think the biggest thing, at least on my mind right now that I've been talking to people about more is how do we limit variance in care? How do we limit variance in terms of what people are given from a service so that they have a better understanding of what our profession is and what the uh, expected outcomes are supposed to be. At the end of the day, one of the most important things that we need to be focused on more is how is the uh, way in which the physical therapy experience is, is going to be delivered, communicated externally. This is what you should expect in PT. This is what you should expect during a session. This is what you should be doing in between sessions. This is what you should expect at the end of your PT course of care. We, for the most part, struggle on those four areas with regards to what we're getting across from a messaging standpoint. So for us, how do we make sure, okay, let's take our model, for example, okay? You have one-on-one time for about a 25 to 30-minute block. How do we set the framework for what the consumer is walking into every single day so that there's almost an inherent level of accountability that they can have because they're more informed about what should go on during that 25 to 30 minute block. So now they're already a couple levels up because instead of being completely clueless about what PT is walking through the door, that they're an educated consumer. And then our PT doesn't have to have as many conversations because the consumer's more educated, and now they can have higher level um, uh, levels of conversation surrounding what's going on. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing for me, and I think, honestly, it's something that we should all be asking from a profession's standpoint, right? If, we, if things like showing our value or delivering higher level outcomes or increasing reimbursement are things that matter to us, and we have a tremendous amount of variance, and especially if I sit here and from a company ownership standpoint, we have a ton of variance among our team, and I'm not saying we do, but if we, we, if we, if we weren't focusing on that, 
I don't see us trending in a positive direction. Right. I just, I just don't, I just don't see it being something that we're going to be able to very, very clear cut. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And this is why we deserve because of a result of what's been going on, why we deserve to be valued more in the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you have a focus on educating the consumer to bring that kind of alignment in. So they're not just kind of passively going through the motions that the therapist tells them to do. They have some control in their, their fate and, they, like you said, that they're educated, they, they play more of an active role in their actual recovery, and they, they feel like they have kind of a say in what, what they're doing. But it's so important to bring in that, you know, that transparency of this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, you're completely involved in it. You know, I, I see folks who are more involved like that almost always did better, especially just outside of the therapy sessions, they were very adherent to what they should be doing outside of the therapy sessions as well. Um, as opposed to someone coming in and just, you know, getting them involved and, and creating a model, a sustainable model and or system in your business that consistently does that with every single person kind of, again, just creating that culture is so crucial. So um, that, that's awesome to hear, hear that, that point of view there. A lot of folks probably don't, consider that in physical therapy, especially outpatient orthopedics, where you see a lot of the more rehab of athletes. Sorry, Mike. I don't like on that level, like in that scene, you know, the same topic, but like, why can't we be transparent even about like return to sport metrics or, Hey, this is what matters at a knee. This is what we're looking for. And we're even going to educate you even before we've been getting more into like, um, supportive email drip campaigns. So when you come on, come in and you have a certain diagnosis code associated with what's going on with you, how do we educate you between sessions? How do we create areas in which you can go learn through our R2P WebMD version of post-op ACL reconstruction or, you know, non-operative shoulder pain, pop into this bucket, learn more about it. These are things that we're looking for. These are things that we're looking to achieve. Okay. This is a general um, flow and, and things that you should expect with this particular situation. So I think the more that we can find ways to, once again, it's just the educational piece, but educate people on all facets of the process, the more that we're going to honestly do right by that person, but the more that we're going to elevate the amount of value that comes from people interacting with the PT. So you actually, you'll, you'll get the cut, the patient's emails and actually email them in between sessions, good information, depending on what they're there for. Um, automated man. Yep. Yeah. Low back pain, pop in, it's automated. You get our way of communicating to you what matters with low back pain. And that's just another system that you've implemented in your business that is crucial to, to making a quality experience for the customer. So, uh, and that's yep. so important in any successful businesses, establishing successful systems. So you, you kind of expanded on, you know, that obstacle that you've, you've worked on kind of overcoming or working through, have you had any failures or disappointments along the way in, in this journey at rehab to perform um, that have, you know, been impactful on your growth? Cause I mean, not all failures are, are a bad thing. A lot of times we learn from them. If you could highlight any, particular failures or disappointments, what would you say? Man, um, for you. 
that could be a probably a three hour podcast, but I will, I will touch on a couple things. I mean, I know, I know what it's like to have my back up against the wall financially. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in the first two years thinking I was going to have to get a weekend PRN job to continue to be able to make money for myself, knowing that we were not making enough money to pay when I only had two people on staff and to pay for the other things associated with the business. I was like, I'm not making enough money. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I need to pick up a side job because at the end of the day, leaders eat last and I was going to eat last. I've skipped myself on payroll three times. You know, like I've, I've done that. I found a way to freaking pay my mortgage one time through credit. Like I found, find a way to freaking do that too. You know? So, um, I think that there's something to be said about getting to those periods of time or you're, yeah, your back's up against the wall and you're like, all right, I either need to figure this out or this is going to cave in around me. So I will almost always tell people that the first two years of rehab to perform were night and day compared to the last four. And I think the first two year period, you're, you're learning, you're, you're improving from a professional standpoint, you're improving from a personal standpoint. And I think the ability to at least get better at failing and failing fast and recognizing when you're failing was something that was critical. I think a lot of people will, will fail, but it'll take them a really, really long time to admit it. And that's when it can be counterproductive. So I think I got better at least at recognizing when things weren't working and recognizing um, what I needed to do to ensure that I wasn't continuing to fail. So that self-awareness piece, and then not only being self-aware, but then shifting really, really quickly to a new path or a new way of doing something that was going to provide some positive ROI. But outside of that, I mean, I think, you know, people don't go to, people don't go to school for marketing. People don't go to school for uh, accounting. People don't go to school for operations. People definitely don't go to school for insurance verification, authorization, and front desk processes. And I think the, the quicker, and this is probably maybe my only regret, is not jumping into some kind of at least structured business training sooner. When I got into more structured business training to supplement my investment in self from a an intellectual capital standpoint, as it pertains to the world of PT, human performance, and the actual service that's being delivered at Rehab to Perform, that's when things took off. So when I finally started investing in myself as an owner operator of a business, uh, that, that changed tremendously because my, my perspective was only so, so narrow, right? It was, it was just very narrow. I just hadn't been exposed to a lot of things. I didn't know any better. And it's one of those things where you talk about low-hanging fruit all the time with something that you're providing somebody. You mentioned like sleep earlier. Somebody only sleeps five hours a night and they're sleeping, you know, going to bed at all different times. Like that could be one of those things where I'm, uh, I'm going to provide them with information or solutions or a strategy in an area that's so easy. It's right in front of your face. For me, I was just going about my day-to-day basis and not realizing, okay, all I had to do this, and this is how much return is going to happen as a result of doing that, just one little thing. So then, okay, now you can finally see a full forest in front of you. 
And now you're just working on, you know, chop. You're just going to chop every day and you're going to add layers. You're going to add layers. You're going to add layers. Um, or, you know, not to, I'm not, not chopping down all the trees, but, you know, you, you kind of get the analogy, right? You just, yeah, yeah. you're going to work and, and ideally you're, you're addressing the full forest instead of this, this tree. And you thought the tree was the only thing that mattered. So I went through small business development center, had two accelerator programs, a CEO accelerator, a growth accelerator. Those were tremendous score has tremendous business programs that are accessible to people. And then the single biggest thing that I went through was Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses program that was run at the Cary school business uh, here at Johns Hopkins. So um, those things being very, very pivotal for me, I'm doing another big, uh, I would say bigger investment with regards to my growth on a professional level as it relates to being an owner operator in 2021. So I'm super, super excited about that um, as I want to just continue to make sure that I am as our team evolves and as the company continues to evolve, my ability to serve our team in particular will only um, be as good as my ability to better myself. Yeah. So it's one thing for me to keep saying that we're going to grow as a company and that we're going to do X, Y, and Z for our team. But if I don't expand my ability to be that kind of leader that the team needs, then I worry at some point we will hit a ceiling with what I can do. And I do not want to hit a ceiling anytime soon. I want to make sure that I'm continuing on my evolution, especially as I've transitioned to mostly that owner operator role where I'm realizing that my time spent working on the business or my time spent with members of our team allows a much greater trickle down effect, so to speak, than me seeing patients each day. I just saw patients this past week just because I was plugging in and I love it and I miss it terribly. But I also realized that I am not serving our company and even the community as well when I'm directly one-to-one -one in patient care. If I can get big picture and then I can have a more global effect, uh, we're all in a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what, what, would you say that that was the turning point for you then? I mean, you said the first two years were rough. Would you say the turning point was when you started investing in yourself in those self-improvement courses? hundred percent. Yep. I mean, I, I, I Russell, Russell Teeter, man, like my, he's my guy. Like when I, when I set foot in that first growth accelerator program and I remember like, you know, he's like, you need to be reading this book. You should try this book. You should do this book. And like, and then he's going through like this curriculum of, Hey, this is, what is included in an operations manual? Like, oh, an operations manual. Oh, that's not really a novel concept. But to me, it was like, okay, that's yeah. amazing. Like now we can write stuff down. Now I can have training videos associated with front desk stuff and marketing. And yeah. like, oh, I have a better understanding of accounting now. And like, you, you know, you just, you're able to do things. And if we get into a, a quote of mine a couple of years ago, aggregation of marginal gains, right? Mm -hmm. And for some of these things, it was aggregating like massive gains because I was going from zero to let's say even zero to 10 was huge. Yeah. There was, there was nothing being done in some of these areas. So um, it, it, uh, it really, yeah, like I said, it just opened your eyes. Your, your, my, my perspective was so narrow as it relates to everything business-wise. I just didn't know any better. Then I had a level of exposure and then it's like, okay, well, what, what needs to be done first? How do I attack this? And how do I eventually add all of these different layers to the company? So it kind of opened your eyes to, to what you didn't know and you knew yep. 
what you had to learn at that point. Um, I guess, like you said, it brought the forest into perspective for you. That, yep. I had no idea there was a forest. Yeah. You know, like that's. I know that's huge. You don't, we don't learn that in school. We learn how to be good clinicians, not good business owners in PT school. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm sure your story is similar to many others coming out of PT school. I mean, we get tossed in, into it and you got to pretty much figure it out yourself. So yeah. that's, that's a cool story. You know, seeing how, how well you guys are doing now in terms of your growth. You know, I think that's something a lot of aspiring business owners could, could learn right off the bat from listening to you is just, you know, don't delay in self in investing in the self-improvement and the learning process, especially as a small business owner, learn the systems, learn the accounting, learn all of that. Because like you said, eventually if you're going to be growing, you're going to at some point have to become more of the business owner and less clinician and seeing patients. So that, that was pretty cool perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. I want you to tell me, because I, I know you're a very adaptable guy. What does adaptability mean to you? How have you been able to utilize this characteristic to provide you value, especially over the last few years? I will, I guess, use adaptability in a, an analogy of I've got my railroad tracks that I'm on. I have a decent idea of where they're going. And sometimes the railroad tracks uh, are stopped in front of me. And I have to know when to hit that little switch thing that allows me to switch over yeah. to a new set of railroad tracks, knowing it's going in the same relative direction, but recognizing that sometimes if, if I don't switch early enough, that I'm going to run into a problem. So I think adaptability involves a tremendous amount of listening, tremendous amount of foresight, right? Um, and overall, just a very, very good uh, awareness uh, of, of, of what you are doing and what you're going to have to do to keep heading in that direction. And I think the railroad tracks, right? You got a general idea that the railroad tracks are heading in the right direction. There's a lot of positive touch points, but when things start to get a little bit uh, rough and tumble, um, or you have a year like this year where things have to be done in a very, very different fashion because of things outside of your control, that your ability to quickly hop the tracks and, and keep on rocking either allowed you to have a, a pretty solid, and I'd say, you know, we had a pretty solid 2020 still, um, as opposed to one where, you know, unfortunately, it's, and it, it, it's not speaking negatively about others. I, sometimes I, I recognize that I've been set up to be able to do certain things just, just with regards to what I can do mentally and my mental capacity um, and a lot of different right things that have happened for me over the years to get to this point. But what, what others might perceive as a barrier um, is not a barrier to me. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that um, either I can figure it out or I can find a way or I'm at least resourceful enough to be able to tag in other people, other people's experiences and know when I need to ask for help at this point. So I think the adaptability too um, is something that has a, a learned component. It has a, an inherent, um, you know, you almost have to trial and error, right? You've gone through some of the, you've been forged through the fire, right? You, you've gone through some stuff that has allowed you to kind of look at stuff now and go, I can freaking handle that. 
handled something like this before. Or, or it might not even be anything close to it, but at least you can draw parallels on it, right? Where you can at least um, pull from that and hopefully go into a little bit more of a simpler decision-making process uh, and a similar way of coming to conclusions as a result of some of those parallels that you're drawing on previous experience, uh, other um, things that have happened or um, things that other people have gone through that you're at least connected enough to, to be able to have that conversation with. So um, I just feel fortunate when, when a year like this year happened, it was very, very quickly into, all right, what do we got to do? That's it. We're, we're doing it. Like, there's no doubt we're, we're doing it. We're going to keep rocking. What's the group feel comfortable with? All right, boom. What do we have to do from a legal standpoint? Okay, boom. What's the this county versus that county telling us? Boom, done. It's just it, it, you just move into a lot more of like logic instead of, and you stay out of the emotional bucket, and you're going a lot more into uh, this more matter matter of fact decision making process, um, taking into uh, account a lot of different touch points. But once again, the the thing that I'm a big believer of just keep moving just keep moving right and it might not be perfect but as long as you just keep moving keep trying it kind of goes along with something i'm a big believer in is uh ready aim fire or ready fire aim i'd rather just yep just jump in okay 60 percent. okay we're okay okay how, how do we get 61 percent tomorrow okay we're good all right we're getting there oh man we had a big big breakthrough today we're at 67 yeah. okay let's keep, keep rocking how can we tweak this how can we keep going and and thinking in solutions I think is another thing that goes hand in hand with that as well. And, and that's something that we, you know, we have in our onboarding manual. Um, and the more that we can think in solutions or the more that we can go thumbs first instead of fingers second as well. And taking that personal ownership compete piece before I go elsewhere, I think yeah. is huge too. So yeah, ownership is, is huge, huge. I, I just read the book extreme ownership and was very impressed with that book. I think it's a something every, everybody needs to read, whether you're a business owner or not. Um, I agree. If you're in, in any position of leadership, it is, it's certainly very important to, to understand ownership and taking the blame first, even if maybe you shouldn't, seemingly from the outside shouldn't. Um, always finding a way to blame yourself first actually gives you the locus of control. Like, hey, you know, what could I have done to make the situation different? Even if it necessarily wasn't my fault, still take the blame and, and understand next time you can do things differently to maybe affect the outcome. So yeah, adaptability. That was, that was great hearing your uh, perspective on that. I mean, certainly to some extent is maybe traits you're born with. Um, I love that you were bringing up the trial and error. I mean, just action beats inaction. Just do it, learn, learn from the mistakes. Is there any kind of drills or practices that you think, the listeners can implement to like maybe practice adaptability. I know it's kind of an abstract thing to kind of practice, but you know, or would you say just, you know, trial and error is the biggest thing and just learning from your mistakes and having that self-awareness to be able to adjust course when you need to. Is there anything? It's such a good one. I don't know that I've ever fully thought about that, but I think some of it is just getting comfortable with periods of uncertainty, I think so often um, that at least what I will see is that uncertainty paralyzes people. And what I mean on, uh, by uncertainty is sometimes we're in a situation where we don't have enough information to determine whether or not what we're doing is, is, good, or, or is good or bad or is leading us in the direction that we want to go to, 
But I think the more that we can have the right people in our life, the more that we can read and learn stories that other people have, have gone through, the more that we can unpack the process. And if I'm talking about making sure that I'm doing things that allow me to be adaptable, it is getting down to how we go through our processes. So a good day and a bad day associated with 2020 overall shouldn't look all that much different because we're doing certain things every single day as a part of our routines, our habits, etc. We are doing something and we're analyzing it. If we do something, we analyze it and it's a positive feedback, right? We get some kind of positive feedback. Then what do we do tomorrow? We pay attention to what we did that day and we're going to do try to replicate it. We're going to try to do something similar. The following day, right? If we did something that day and it led to something negative really, really quickly. Okay. What can I do to not do that same thing from a process standpoint? This is where you get into like event plus response equals outcome. How do I ensure that I'm always controlling my responses to whatever happened on a given day, in a given situation, in a given scenario, so that I continue to get towards desirable outcomes, not knowing what always what those outcomes are going to be. But I definitely have enough touch points at some point to know that certain responses are not positive based on my conversation with you, with friends, the people in my circle, stories I've read, et cetera. And you really start to get down to, okay, at the end of the day, a lot of success and a lot of adaptability is associated with process. And the more that I can get less, less attached to things emotionally, And the more I can get to a logical way of viewing things. And it's not to say that emotion is counterproductive, but it's the right amount of emotion that can be productive. Mm -hmm. Too much emotion can be extremely counterproductive. Not enough emotion can be extremely counterproductive. But the right balance in terms of the amount of emotion that is tied to something. I can have emotional ties to how I do things. I can have emotional ties to you know, the way that I want to communicate something, the way that I want something done. But if I can't also balance that with a logical way of viewing it and whether or not others would think that it should be done this way or that others have done things similarly or that I've read stories showing that this way of doing things is positive and has led a lot of people to, you know, this range of desirable outcomes then I'm, I'm going to struggle just because I have that emotional tie to it or this event has happened and my response is so emotional and so drawn out, right? That it's extreme, that it's outside of that desirable range. So I do get back into like controlled responses, right? Are you continually going through this self-regulation, right? Knowing that self-regulation often is going to lead me to um, better, better ways of doing things, because I'm continually going into if A, then B, and is that good? Okay, no. I want if A, now then C. Okay, that's different, but we're not quite there yet. Okay, if A, now I need to go quickly into D. And maybe by the time I hit J, it's ideal. Yeah. But the problem is some, some people just go if A, then B, and they have a hard time deviating. There's an emotional tie. They don't recognize it, right? And so those are people that lack awareness. They haven't been able to regulate what's going on and then adapt, shift, move, pivot, whatever they need to do in order to keep 
honing their processes to, to achieve that desirable outcome. Okay. Yeah. Great explanation there. I also like how you brought up routine because I think routine is certainly important. Developing a routine that is adaptable. Having a routine first off, not everyone has a routine, but you know, establishing a good routine that has the ability to change. And like you said, that, that comes into maybe the um, emotional balance there. You're not so emotionally attached to a certain part of your routine. You're willing to change things up, but at least you have some sort of routine set up in the first place. Whereas I know some people fly every day by the seat of their pants, whether they're business owner or not. And when you have a routine established, it's easy to change little pieces at a time as opposed to flipping everything upside down. Or if you don't have a routine, I don't know how people do that. Routine is a struggle. Creating routine is a struggle. And I think the more that we recognize that choosing to struggle, the choice of struggle is way better over time to prepare me for struggle when it happens outside of my control than that fly by the seat of your pants person that never chooses the struggle of routine. Things are chaotic all day because there's no order. And then more chaos goes into their already chaos. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you monitor and manage anything? Your already chaotic life is now, now you're experiencing more chaos because you chose chaos and then you now are going through external chaos that's outside of your control. I would much rather be the person that chooses order, chooses discipline. It's a struggle every single day, right? For me to get out of bed at a certain time, but it got easier and it got easier and it got easier. Is it still easy? No, it's not easy getting up at a certain amount of time, choosing to freaking go work out majority of days out of the week choosing to do things that I don't like from a business administrative standpoint, a lot of times in the morning to knock it out of the way, but at least I'm starting to find ways that work for me. And then when chaos happens, I can still fall back on my operating systems of doing things. It's a lot like old school computers. When they got jacked up, they go into like safe data mode or whatever. You know what I mean? And at least still some of the basic fundamental operating procedures were working to still allow you to work on the computer while you're fixing the other things. Yeah. Let's say you reverted back to 50%, but at least you had something to revert back on that you know that you were pretty happy with, that was working for you, that was pushing you in a general direction uh, that you think is going to allow you to reach your goals and dreams. But if every single day is a day in which it feels like, you know, shit's just hitting the fan and then all of a sudden some external thing like COVID pops in, oh, yeah. gosh, good luck. I mean, you're, you're that when I talk about stress and anxiety, like I think we all go through periods of stress and anxiety, very varying levels, big continuum of, uh, of, of what that looks like. But the person that's chaos, chaos all the time, and then goes through external chaos. Like those are the situations where people just aren't going to be able to manage stress and anxiety because they haven't chose to put themselves in a stressful situation on a daily basis. They haven't chosen to make themselves a little bit anxious, right? As a result of the the manner in which they do things in our If I can microdose stress and microdose anxiety in my life, man, my capacity is going to be tremendous at some point in time. But if I choose to just go by the whim of my pants because it's easier and it's seemingly less stressful, but then it's not something I can monitor and manage and it's something I don't know that's actually going to get me anywhere, 
that seems like I'm pushing off microdosing stress and anxiety to then all of a sudden take it all at once. You eloquently stated that. I mean, I love the analogy of the safe mode on the computer. You're still able to, with routine, perform a lot of the fundamental things day to day, but while that routine is kind of automatically going, that automatic process, you're able to handle that external chaos that is thrown at you. So, I mean, I, I think maybe the best word I can think of is res- routine pro- provides you resilience against chaos to give you that adaptability with the ability to adapt, maybe resilience through routine. And so, like you said, I mean, it takes self-discipline. It takes self-sacrifice to do it. It's, it's hard. It's a struggle. But yeah, I mean, if there's anything concrete the listeners can take from this little portion of this conversation it would be if you don't have a routine, start start trying to develop one. Start as hard as it may be. I'm going to one-up your resilience talk and say the best routine is, uh, is actually going to lead to more of that anti-fragile situation. I like it. If your if your normal operating processes puts you in a situation where you can endure and maintain, I think of resilience, and that's tremendous. I don't want to take anything away from it, but if I come out of a year like especially 2020 and be better than I've ever been, that if anything affirms the manner in which that I'm doing things even more. It's why I feel so strongly about 2021, like when we finally get back to a point where um, societally it's a lot more like how it was, mm-hmm. that we're going to – I feel like somebody's holding up. You ever you remember those like cars back in the day and you kind of like rev them backwards enough times and they like – I feel like we're just sitting here just like revving and all of a sudden just going to let the car go. and It's just going to roll yeah. like fly. You know what I mean? Because we've been sitting here. We've been adding juice. We've been adding juice to this – this silly little car, you know, yeah. and at some point when society allows us, boom, we're freaking flying here. You know yeah. what I mean? We're not just sitting here putting up a shelter around the car. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're making sure that at some point this car is going to ready, be ready to run on its own. So um, that, that's actually a really good book that I, I think a lot of people should, should look into as well. What is it? I forgot who the author is, but what's the name of it? Anti-fragile. That, that is the actual name of it. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, pretty much growth, growth through uh, chaos, um, growth through disorder, right? How do you, how do you come up? Yep. Add that to the list. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that, that was another great analogy. I mean, juicing up the cars, not enough people are doing that. So when 2021 hits or whenever the society's normalcy returns, too many people are just going to be sitting stagnant and then starting to build up acceleration. Whereas you and others like you, are going to be flying out the gates. You already have that momentum and that energy built up. So um, that's awesome. Uh, Shifting gears a little bit, I I wanted to ask you kind of about gratitude. I've seen that as such a key element in folks like you who are successful or building momentum in in harder times, um, always exhibiting growth, personal growth or, you know, growth of a, a company. How has gratitude played a role in your life and how do you implement or practice it? I think, man, gosh, there's a lot of different ways I could go with that. Thinking about gratitude, I think largely can put one in a situation where at least they're thankful, first and foremost, for whatever is going on in their life, whatever is happening to them, whatever they're in control of, whoever's in their life um, at any given time. Things can be better for everybody. But guess what? 
things can be way, 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 way worse. So I can be grateful for where I'm at because it's certainly better than where I could be. And I could also be grateful for what's going on in my life, no matter how good or no matter how negative, knowing that the manner in which how I view it can largely lead me to a position in which I um, can be better off as a result of it. So it is very, very similar. I, I shouldn't say similar. I think starting out with gratitude and the ability to be grateful allows one to never get too low and to never get too high. So I would say it largely aligns with the practice of stoicism, which is something I've been better and better at over, say, the past four to five years, where I'm also, in addition to being grateful for what is going on, I even through periods where things are tremendous and never getting too high on myself. I'm never getting too high on the moment. I'm never getting too high on what's going on with the company. Knowing that happiness is not necessarily tied to a moment or material things or awards or anything in particular, but at least for me, my happiness is largely attributed to movement in my life growth, right? So if I'm moving towards something and I'm bettering myself, that being one of the most gratifying things as a whole. And I can be grateful for moments in which things are great. I can be grateful for moments in which things are very, very challenging for me. And the ability to recognize that they both deserve my gratitude is something that I think a lot of people could benefit from. I can be happy and I can be grateful for all of the good things that are going on right now. They're a byproduct of the manner in which how I'm doing things. And I can view that if we look at like self-regulation again. Okay, this is confirming for me. I'm doing a lot of things the right way. Let's keep doing them. Okay, my processes are getting validated. Or I can go the other uh, side of the coin. And this is extremely challenging for me. I'm going through hardship. Okay. If I am grateful for this, I'm automatically going into a mode in which I'm recognizing all of the gain that can be had as a result of this moment in my life. So I think the, the, the concept of gratitude and then especially starting your day with it, it's a tremendous way to frame. Um, for me, mindfulness looks like a cup of coffee in the morning, sitting, I got one of those big freaking love sacks. Um, downstairs. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen it. It's like a, it's the big oversized beanbag. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I uh, will spend a little bit of time to myself in the morning, um, either, either there with my cup of coffee before I hit the gym, or um, I'm also trying to frame up my day uh, while cooking breakfast in the morning. So that's another time period. It's quiet. There's not distractions. I'm sitting there, I'm being, and I'm just allowing myself to just Thoughts just come in, right? I'm not being, what's the word? I'm not being entertained. I'm just letting things seep. There's nothing that's external that's coming in. It's whatever's in here is just what, what comes to the, the top of mind, so to speak. Yeah. So there, there are opportunities for me to, I think, get a better gauge of like, how am I feeling? What's going on right now? What do I need to work on? What do I keep thinking about that's bothering me a little bit? You know, it's just, it's just there. 
And I think that you're like, all right, well, okay, I'm, I'm happy about this. I'm not happy about this. I'm grateful about this. Oh, this is challenging. Okay, this de- demands more of my time and energy. And then you just get a bit much better of a, appraisal, I think, when you start listening to yourself. And then you're finding a way to channel each of those into that that mind, mindset of, of being grateful for whatever it is that, that you're either happy about or you're not crazy about. Yeah, I love that. Just sitting and just letting kind of almost in a free flow state, let it flow through you. Don't distract yourself. Um, just very receptive to whatever thoughts kind of come in your head. Nothing's forced. Uh, so I love that. Another, man, I got, I got really pumped up when you said this. It's so important to not just be grateful for the positives, but even the negatives in your life. And that's one of the, the practices I've been working on. Um, I've preached it a few episodes back that one of the drills I like to do is, you know, I come up with five things I'm grateful for, write them down. Um, and then find five things that are maybe harder in your life that you would say would maybe be negatives and find reasons to be grateful for them, whatever they are. It, you, it may not be self-explanatory right away, but something that is really causing you hardship or struggle in your life. And twist it, figure out how can I be grateful for that? So, you know, like you were saying, a struggle, I mean, something that is really hard for you. Okay. What can I learn from this? It it could be, you can see it as an opportunity for growth, or you can just see it as a hardship and being grateful, starting to develop that, you know, practice or that habit of turning hard, difficult struggles, you know, whatever you want to call them, negative aspects in your life and having that kind of habit developed where all of a sudden you're able to change your perspective. And that's what it is. I mean, you, you hit the nail perfectly on the head within 30 seconds of talking about this. It's all about your perspective. How do you view the, these things? And that takes practice and you have to be intentional with how you practice it. Whether you take 10 minutes in the morning and just kind of think about things you and tell yourself, you know, what you're grateful for things of self-affirmation, but it's also just so important to think about the hardships or the, the negatives. So I love that you hit on that. You've already kind of talked about your support system. I mean, your family is clearly a huge part of your support system, you know, and your upbringing, helping you to develop the self-discipline and the self-sacrifice that you've needed. Is there anyone else you'd like to recognize as being, you know, big part of your support system outside of your family? Yeah. I mean, I think my, my fiance is great. She's just a good listener. Um, and honestly, we, we think very differently in terms of how we process. So I think that her contrast really, really helps me out sometimes. So I think her ability to listen and then sometimes not come immediately with something, but really digest it. I can be a little bit more of a quicker thinker, which can be negative as well. I think her ability to digest things, think about it. um, And she'll sometimes, you know, just like shoot me a message at work. Hey, have you ever thought about this like this? And I'm like, nah, but I appreciate that you've like, this has still been like, you know, marinating. It's like marinating with her. You know what I mean? Whereas I have a tendency to kind of just want to come to conclusions quicker. So I think that's been something that I've, I've really, really benefited from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a good thing that you guys are different in that respect then. So going back to, what this podcast is all about, it's all about, you know, exceeding expectations of yourself um, or the expectations that society, family, friends may have placed on you and working and striving to exceed them. What expectations do you feel like maybe you've had on yourself throughout, you know, these last five years or so that you've worked to 
overcome or exceed um, or expectations of family, friends, society? How have you worked to overcome or exceed those expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think I could go probably two ways with this. One, a little bit more of like a, I'd say like a, a negative piece that I've had to kind of work through. And then I would say a, another one, just, you know, getting back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I'll start with the first one. I think early on, I identified with work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. And I was 100 miles an hour in per- professional life. And I was 100 miles an hour in, in personal life. And at some point, you have to stop identifying. Sometimes an identity in itself can be counterproductive because with an identity, and if, if, if you draw this parallel over to horoscopes, you identify with something and then it's your way of rationalizing it. Instead of you recognizing yourself as being fluid, you put yourself in a, in a bucket. Yeah. So... I think for me needing to get to a point where I was no longer identifying with a work hard, play hard, you know, budding entrepreneur. And I needed to recognize that my, some of the things that I was doing was not really bringing me back to baseline. It was not really filling me up. It was not really leading me getting back to a homeostatic point where I could be at the best for my team and the continued growth of the company because I was not fully paying attention to myself because I was wrapped up in this identity. I'm 28, I'm 29, I'm free. I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. It's Friday night. Let's go out and have fun too. Let's work, 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 play, 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 play. Like it just was an identity I was so wrapped up in. And I think the moment where I stopped finding a way to rationalize identity or or, or rationalize things as a result of identity, the better off that I was. Sometimes I need to go blow it all out with some friends. Absolutely. But the fluidity in which my identity lies is so much more valuable and important and recognizing that I can shift and that I do need different things at different points of time. And that a lot of that and my recognition of what I need starts with just listening to myself. So those time periods where I do have, um, you know, the opportunity to listen to myself. I didn't mention either, but like sometimes on the drive home, I just turn the music off. And I just, just drive, you know, especially if I'm going from one of my further locations where it's like, you know, a good 40 minute drive and you just, just listen, what do I need? Oh man, I just need a weekend out with the boys, you know, or, ah, oh, man, I need to, you know, head out with Jess, my fiance to, for a trip somewhere or just have a night like date night, you know, like I recognizing that once again, that, that I, identity in itself um, can be very problematic. Uh, if I get into one of my favorite books this year, personality is not permanent. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the, the faulty side of like Myers Briggs where you're identifying with a personality type. Yeah. Then you're just going to rationalize your way of, you're going to rat like, it's why I, I don't want to use the word impulsive like earlier. I don't want to identify as being impulsive. I have a tendency to want to come to conclusions sooner, but I'm also recognizing that some periods of time, I'm going to be much more deliberate about whether or not I'm impulsive, but too often. And especially when it comes to faults, people will have these identities that they cling to. And I think not recognizing that there's a continuum and hopefully there's a continuum there can be extremely counterproductive. So 
Um, outside of that, I mean, if you're just talking about, um, you know, pressure or, or things that kind of are hanging over your head or I just want to meet, reach my potential. So I think for me, recognizing at this point in time, I do, I feel like I've got something really special, not necessarily just like on an individual level, but with our team and with our company and feeling the pressure of being able to share that, I think is more where I'm at and finding ways to be able to share what I think is something that is just needed. It's very, very much needed. So if, if this doesn't have the ability, the, the ability to continue to be more impactful for more people, it's hard to say it, but I, I, I think that I will be less likely to view this as an overwhelming success. I realize at some point it'll get close to that, but I don't think we're even close to it at this point, if that makes sense. So I, I need to keep finding a way to share this with more people. Okay. So tailing off of that, I mean, how about self-doubt? Is that something that you've struggled with from the beginning or even right now? Or have you had others doubt you, whether it was peers in PT school, knowing maybe you wanted to do small businesses, professors, family members, anybody doubt you? Or have you ever struggled with self-doubt on and off? I think sometimes people will doubt you. Uh, you know, I can think about PT school. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't studying the most. Maybe I, my personality type's a little bit more lighthearted. And maybe I operate differently than people who maybe to identify a little bit more with their academics, so to speak. Um, and, and maybe my way of doing things on a regular basis doesn't, follow or conform to what people who would identify with their academics more would, would do. So maybe I was viewed a certain way and maybe people would think that maybe, you know, I, I wasn't as invested or I wasn't as committed or this, that, and the other, you know, stuff gets back to you and you listen to it. And then when you're starting up a business, not everybody supports you. Even people like, where I'm like, so-and-so just got hurt. I've known them for 20 years and they still didn't choose our business. Or in the beginning, people support you when you're struggling. And then when you start doing well, then they stop supporting you. So there's varying things and varying dynamics, I think, that have gone on probably over the last 10 years, because I'll be reaching my 10-year mark um, out of PT school here next year. But I think at the end of the day, I just try not to get too wrapped up in it. At the end of the like. I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know what we've accomplished as a team. I know who I have with me. I'm happy about the people that I have with me. Let's, let's just keep, keep rocking. I hate to say it, but if people fall off the bus or the boat here and there, it, it doesn't devalue them as a human being, but like, you're just not rocking with us anymore. Yeah. It's nothing against you. I have no ill will towards you, but I'm not going to count on you. And I hopefully at least can sit here and not count on somebody that, or, or uh, that I'm not counting on somebody that I shouldn't be counting on. You know what I mean? So uh, life's too short to get too wrapped up in some of that stuff. So at the end of the day, I mean, you know, somebody, somebody fell off or they didn't believe in me or whatever. Well, I'm just going to keep being the best that I can be and, and doing me. I'm getting more comfortable with who I am and, and what's being brought to the table. I mean, just, just like anyone, I mean, you have, some self-doubts here or there. You maybe question things once in a while, but you, you always bring yourself back with perspective. I mean, looking at what, what is going for you, how much you're doing right in the business, and even 
before that when you wanted to start start things up? You kind of have like a, I don't know, like a reset button or something that you kind of hit that just kind of puts everything back in perspective so that you just don't dwell on on those thoughts when you are having self-doubt. Would you say that's kind of an accurate assessment? Is that kind of what you do? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of a go with I just don't, I don't know. Maybe it's a negative thing, but I, I just don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, it's like one of those things where like, I mean, I even, I mean, I told my fiance and we've talked about this multiple times. Like somebody could say something negative to me. And unless you're like in my circle, I give, I just don't care. I literally don't care. Yeah. Like I'm not going to validate that person by allowing them when they're not like invested fully in what's everything that's going on in my life to take my headspace. I'm not allowing somebody to have free rent in my head. Yeah. When's the last time we hung out? I don't even have, I don't even have your number in my phone. We're not cool. It's like unsolicited advice. And I hate to say it, but sometimes when you get more successful, more and more people want to offer up unsolicited advice. We're not cool. I really don't care. You could write me a scathing email about how you think I am as a person. How did, how did you even get my email? Who is this person? Whatever, moving on. Like I, I, the, the people that matter to me can offer up advice and they can offer up and, and they're, they're, they're not going to leave. They're going to offer me suggestions. Like if we're not well connected, I just, I don't let people have that free rent in my head when to be quite honest, they haven't, they haven't deserved it. But I think the more that we can get back to like, who's in your circle, your family matters. How many of your friends like are, are, are you close enough where their opinion actually really, 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 really matters. Once again, it doesn't devalue that individual, but you can definitely devalue somebody's impact or, or ability to impact your life. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I've been talking to you in three years. Sorry. Okay, cool. You said that. Like, they say it like whatever. You know what I mean? Like, okay. It's not to say I won't like think about it, but at the end of the day, like, all right, don't care. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Love it. It can be a speed stuff like that can either be a speed bump or a brick wall. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see it as a speed bump and I'm probably going to hit the accelerator a little bit as I go through it. Yeah. You know, so it's like when people say, don't, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like, all right, well, th- we're not cool anymore. Like, or this person doesn't believe in our team or, you know, we've reached a certain level of success. And now this person, you know, thinks we changed or something or this, that, and the other, like, okay, well, sorry. Like I'm, I'm, I didn't intend to, um, make you feel any kind of way about us but if you do and that's that like sorry I'm, i can't go around making everybody happy i mean if you haven't talked to a person in, in three years or the person isn't someone you would want to sit down and have lunch with you absolutely shouldn't you know trouble yourself with their opinion and like you said i i like how you, you phrased it you're not going to give them free rent in your head so goodness gracious i feel like so many people could value just from hearing that that blurb you just described because you know in today's world anybody can spout their opinion at you over facebook or social media and and i feel more often than not people let those sort of things get to them as opposed to like you said just see it as a speed bump hit the accelerator don't give them that free rent in your head you know social media is a blessing and a curse it's a wonderful tool but it also gives people who you maybe don't care for or don't need to care for a voice in your, in your, in your circle or in your point, point of view that you can see that you don't necessarily need to 
trouble yourself with that a lot of people do trouble themselves when they don't need to. So yeah, that's the kind of attitude I feel like more people need to have to recognize just for their own self sanity and mental health. You know, if they're not in your inner circle, why bother troubling yourself over their opinion? Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know we've been talking for a while. I feel like, you know, we, we covered a, a ton of great stuff today. You know, you've t- talked a little bit about kind of what's next for you in 2021. Is there anything else you would like to leave the listeners with or, you know, anything that's next for you you want to touch on before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I just think for me, you know, we, we haven't talked about this, but I will say that the one of the number one things that is important is to figure out if the people in your circle are the right people in your circle. And then at that given time, if you don't have the people in your circle that are going to allow you to level up, you need to find those people to add to your circle. And you also need to be continually thinking about the people that are in your circle that are actually taking away from. And as I've mentioned several times before, it doesn't devalue them as human beings, but their importance and the value add that they have on your life is just not maybe what it used to be. And you have to find a way to filter through that. Okay. If you're trying to be your best self, you need the right people around you that continue to support you being your best self. And I think that's such an important part. You could use the word mentorship um, as well, but that's, that's something I, I, I think is critical for a lot of people. Yeah. I've heard the, the term, you know, you're the average of the five or six people you hang out with the most or who are in your inner circle. So yeah, certainly paying good attention to that and being intentional with surrounding yourself with people that, you know, are going to provide value to your life and vice versa that you can provide value to them. And, yeah. um, you know, another saying I like is if you're, the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You want to surround yourself oh. with people that you can learn from that are better than you. And so I think those two concepts definitely go hand in hand. So surround yourself with a, a circle of people that will provide value to you. Make sure you have people that you can learn from. You're not just, you know, the smartest person in the room, for lack of a better phrase there. So, um, yeah, that, that is a great, great bit of advice um, that I think the listeners definitely could, could value from from listening to so all right dr josh funk i appreciate you, you taking the time man that was, it was a great conversation with you oh, i'm looking forward to to getting this out for the listeners you know i wish you the best of luck here in the the new year i'm excited to to see how this fifth location opens up and does for you and uh you know i'll keep in touch with you over facebook i'll be following i'm in your r2 peeps group do you have any other questions for me no, man. Appreciate the opportunity to share and uh, hopefully you, you finish the year strong and are in a good spot to make 2021 the best. Absolutely. That's the goal for everyone. How, how can people follow you if they want to keep in touch with you? Yep. At DR Josh Funk on Twitter or Instagram. Um, if you want to join our R2 Peeps Facebook group, really just try to make that more like health and wellness focused, mm-hmm. try to present articles um, and just things that are potentially interesting to anybody who's trying to live a healthy lifestyle. Okay. So, yeah, I'll put those in the podcast notes. Dr. Josh Funk um, spelled how it sounds on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. Okay. And then I'll also include the, re, the R2 Peeps Facebook group there. Perfect. All right, man. Well, again, I appreciate the conversation. And, you know, I yep. hope you have a wonderful new year with your family. Okay. You do the same, brother. Take care. 
what a great conversation with Dr. Josh Funk. I feel like we were really able to dive into a lot of very valuable topics and information when it comes to both personal growth and professional growth. I hope those of you listening were able to pull something tangible from it because I feel like there was a lot of valuable nuggets in that conversation. If you would like to continue and follow Dr. Josh Funk, you can do so on Twitter or Instagram at drjoshfunk. I'll include that in the podcast notes. You can also join his valuable Facebook group, R2Peeps. So go out there and make an impact on your life, on other people's lives. Thanks for listening again. And don't forget to always exceed expectations.